I'm not good at telling jokes. I don't even remember them right. But uh, yesterday I had an opportunity to go to Cracker Barrel with a friend of mine from Northland. Didn't know what happened to him uh, all of these years. He contacted me, wanted to buy breakfast for me. And so he went to the Cracker Barrel early. I think we got there right at 7 when they opened up. And the waitress came to take our order, and he said, can I tell you a coffee joke? And she said, no. And she walked away. Uh, he felt awkward. And so she came back, and he said, can I tell you a coffee joke? Can I tell you a joke about coffee? And she said, no. And so she did hire him. Sometimes he was just reassuring that. And so I kind of was uh, wondering about that coffee joke. I kind of wanted to... Something he said, what about a cow? How does cow... Is how is a cow involved with coffee? Uh, they're only if they've been decaffeinated. Something like that. so that, that's partly how it went. It's like I say, I'm not very good with them. And so here's a farmer up here, probably had some calves this morning. But uh, uh, I appreciate uh, his, his friendship, appreciate him coming. Dan Herman is his name. He's going to Ireland. And so keep him in your prayers, if you would. Remember that family. I love pastoring. I went to Bible college. I thought I was going to be an evangelist. Bless God, I'm going to go all around the country and preach. And during my time at Northland, right toward the end of it, I thought I'd be a missionary. I thought Turkey was the land because I had been there already. And here I've been now at this church for 23 years. And I don't even think I've entered into what really God has for me yet. I'm trying the best to just do what I'm supposed to. These days, you know what I'm saying, it's difficult. It's difficult not just in the work, but in my attitude and in spirit to be able to lead and be able to be kind and love and to care for all uh, the best we can. But I think this week, looking at the frail body in which we have that we are, we are digressing, if I can use that term. Um, and I, to watch Linda go home to be with the Lord and then to see Lee suffer with ALS and lose his ability to speak. A year ago, he was talking plainly to me. He was telling the waitress at Denny's, I'd like French toast. It was the same thing every time. And then it got worse and worse into October and November, and then by probably around Christmas, he lost the ability to talk. And he would slobber somewhat, not wanting to. He'd come to my office with a rag, and he would try to speak to me. And then understanding that he was getting less and less mobile, giving him a walker, and then he couldn't use that even, and then he lost the ability of his right arm, got pneumonia uh, sometime last week, and then Friday went home to be with the Lord. Um, heaven has been on my mind a little bit. And thinking about what heaven is like. And, of course, the scriptures talk about the forever thing. Uh, that's what we look to for information. What is heaven like? What do people look like? Where is it? Am I going there? You know, these are things that we think about during... Uh, the COVID crisis, I think a little bit more. 
and as we see the uprise in the tension that it produces, uh, it can mess with us. But there's going to be a day in which we'll be able to be in a place where there'll be no more weeping. A place where there'll be no more problems. The last chapter of the Bible is a comprehensive dissertation of the new heaven and the new earth. And as I read it right, the last chapter of the Bible is explaining to us what it's going to be like at the end of the end of the millennium. After that, then, what's going to happen? There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and it'll look something like the first few verses um, of, of, the, of the last chapter of the Bible. So it speaks of the second coming of Christ and the eternal state which is soon to be only upon those born-again ones, not religious ones, but the born-again ones will be ushered into the presence of God because you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you have been born again. It helps us learn a little bit more about what it means to have eternal life as we see that there is the opportunity that we will be able to Reign with him forever and ever, as it says in our key verse, verse number five. But I couldn't help but think about Lee and Linda. They're there. Couldn't help but think about that. Their their feet are touching the shores of heaven. They're, they're, They're with the Lord. What what a beautiful thought that they are absolutely content. And they would not come back if they could. Because this is nothing compared to what heaven is going to be like. So in thinking of that, I went to my devotions early this morning and of course read a little bit about Spurgeon and what would be a sermon without Spurgeon. Uh, I don't claim to know a lot, but what I'll do is cut out his sermon and put a wonderful picture to it every single day that I can. Sometimes I'm in a boat fishing and I can't. And sometimes I'm ill. But most of the time, you get up in the mornings and you're going to see that I've already been out there giving my devotion from Charles Spurgeon daily, was it daily, morning and evening. And, and that has been really a, a tool that I've used through, since I was 27 years old. I'm 59. It's a long time. And I read him and I get something new out of it every day. And this particular morning when I began to read, I said, this goes along with the message. I must read it. He uses the verses in Isaiah, verse 65, 19. He uses that verse, the voice of weeping shall be no more heard. Let me just read what he wrote years ago. Probably during a time of discouragement, maybe. Because he dealt with depression. But he wrote this, the glorified weep no more, for all outward causes of grief are gone. There are no more broken friendships, nor blighted prospects in heaven, no poverty, famine, peril, persecution, no more slander, are unknown. These things are unknown there. No pain, distresses nor thought of death or bereavement saddens. They weep no more, for they are perfectly sanctified. No evil heart of unbelief prompts them to depart from the living God. They are without fault before his throne and are fully conformed to his image. Well, 
may these cease to to mourn who have ceased to sin. They weep no more because all fear of change is past. They know that they are eternally secure. Sin is shut out and they are shut in. They dwell within a city which shall never be stormed. They bask in a sun which shall never set. They drink of a river which shall never dry. They pluck fruit from a tree which shall never wither. Countless cycles may revolve, but eternity shall not be exhausted. And while eternity endures, their immortality and blessedness shall coexist with it. They are forever with the Lord. They weep no more because their desires are now fulfilled. They cannot wish for anything which they have not in possession. Eye and ear, heart and hand, judgment, imagination, hope, desire, will, all the faculties are completely satisfied. And imperfect as our present ideas are of things which God hath prepared for them that love him, yet we, will, we know enough by the revelation of the Spirit, that the saints above are supremely blessed. The joy of Christ, which is an infinite fullness of delight, is in them, and they bathe themselves in the bottomless, shoreless sea of infinite beatitude. That same joyful rest remains for us, but it may not be far distant. Ere long the weeping willow shall be exchanged for the palm, for the palm of branch of of victory, and sorrows, dewdrops, will be transformed into the pearls of everlasting bliss. And wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And as we're thinking and focusing upon a place called heaven, how do we understand this? And how does the Bible give us the ability to see things the way God sees them? I think it really is not as just the written word, but it also is the Spirit of God living within you. That you would actually allow the Spirit to show you what the Word of God says. And as you read it, He will speak to you. As you take your conditions to Him, and as you take your petitions to him he listens to you but you need to listen to him when his word is being taught to you or or you are reading from his word it'll help you and feed you so that you can be strong and our text is directed toward the redeemed and so it is directed toward those who have believed of the word of life and let me just share with you this morning if you're going to take notes forget it Because this is not like an average sermon from Dean Howell. I feel like I needed to just kind of go through this and then give you three questions at the end, okay? And so maybe you want to write those three questions down. But listen to me closely for a little bit as we talk about those that are redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And this really is directed toward them. Chapter 22 of of the book of Revelation is for us who have been saved. We have this assurance that we are going to be there with him and we are going to reign forever with him someday in heaven. And so it is directed toward those who have heard and believed on the word of life. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 14 and 16, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. 
that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so it is directed toward those who have heard and believed the word of life, but it also is directed toward those who have feasted on the bread of life. The Bible says in John six thirty five, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. It is directed toward those who have drunk deeply of the water of life. Because Revelation 21, verse number 6 says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the foundation of the water of life freely. It is directed toward those who are assured that our names are indelibly permanently inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed with white raiment, and I will not blot out his name of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. And so this is directed toward all those who no longer walk in darkness, but walk in the light of life. The Bible says in John 8, verse number 12, I spake, then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is directed toward those of those who will soon receive the crown of life, because Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, for behold, the, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful unto death, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you of the crown of life. And so it is directed also to those who have access to the tree of life. In Revelation twenty-two fourteen, blessed are they that do his commandments and that they may, may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. But I think it's important, and I must read verse number three in your text. Chapter 22, verse number three says, and there shall be no more curse. What a wonderful thought. Part of the curse would be that there are weeds in your garden. That's a simple way of saying it. You know, just think of the Garden of Eden with no weeds. Just think of the Garden of Eden and how beautiful it was. The animals strong, Adam and Eve there. Just for a moment in your mind's eye, you can see a garden without weeds. But because of sin, thistles are there. I just got done spraying some at our house. I don't want to spray them because I hear that if you inhale that, you could get cancer. So I don't know if you spray it, but I always spray it this way, you know, but without a mask. You know, I'm, I'm just a tough guy. Yeah. Sometimes I go to the garden and I begin to pull the weeds and I think, man, well, they, are, they, are, they are never ending. Where did all these come from? And some of them are, are nettles, but some of them are thistles. And, and they hurt. And, and I think in, there is a curse, but there is a universal curse of sin upon your heart, all of us. And weeds grow, 
and hurtful things grow if we're not careful. And so we must look at this idea of the curse that is on this earth as understanding there is only one cure, and that's Jesus Christ to that curse. But think about heaven where there will be no more curse, no more bondage of the old nature, no more bad memories, no more memories of being hurt, feeling unwanted, not good enough, only feelings of acceptance. You think home is wonderful. Wait till you get home home. What a blessing that will be. And I think when we're talking about this in verse number three, that there is no curse any longer. When God created man, he had a purpose for them. Sin entered into the picture temporarily and caused great harm to the purpose of God. And so the sin curse is still a hindrance to the will and the purpose of our Lord God. It is the universal curse that only has one cure, and that universal cure is Jesus Christ. And the beauties of these verses really will perform, uh, we will perform someday without the curse. But if I can go back to Genesis, since we're talking about that creation, and many of you know what I'm talking about, is that in the creation itself, we see the word God. And if we were to underline the word God um, every time in chapter 1 of Genesis, we would see that the word of God does make it clear that God is mentioned almost in every single verse. And then when he is done creating all things, then we see a difference because in chapter 2, it begins, after all things are created, it says, Lord God, because the Bible is emphasizing the need for us to understand that now everything that has been created has a Lord God over it. So he is Lord God, and that's really the title of the message today, the Lord God. And that's what I want to emphasize a little bit because it's mentioned here in the verses. Verse number 5 and verse number 6 mention it. But if we go back to the book of Genesis and we see this Lord God being mentioned, which is directed, a direct reference to the sovereignty of God, and then the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and they that dwell therein, Psalm 24, we understand too that the psalmist understood that there is a sovereignty of God and he is sovereign over all. And so in the passage we see in the first five in verse 5 and in verse number 6, that God is mentioned, and he's mentioned here as Lord God. Look at verse number 5, and there shall be no light there, and, there shall be no, and they need no candle, and neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto them, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must be shortly done. This must shortly be done. And behold, I come quickly. And so the passage kind of gives us an understanding concerning it. That if we look at the Old Testament and we see that in the beginning of the Old Testament, it is given to us the understanding of Lord God. And then if we go through the Bible all the way through it to the end, to the last chapter of the Bible, it mentions the Lord God. So everything in between, it is he, the Lord God. This is emphasized in the book of Ezekiel. 
I think you should turn there with me, if you could, to chapter 5. Find Ezekiel and take your time. But I think the prophet Ezekiel focuses on two areas. He focuses on the glory of God and the sovereignty of God. And if we think about that just for a moment, aren't those two important things? That we would think about the glory of God and the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign, that everything that happens, happens because he, is, he allows it. And that we are actually in a, in a condition where we as man can look to him to give him glory. It's hard to when times are tough. Charles Feinberg wrote in his commentary of Ezekiel, he wrote these words. He explains it this way concerning the sovereignty of God. He says, from the first to the last chapter of Ezekiel, one supreme thought runs throughout, and that is of the sovereignty of God in the glory of the Lord God. And so he is sovereign in Israel, in the affairs of the nations of the world, Those are loud and boisterous claims of men seem to have drowned out this truth in his sovereign will. God has purposed that we would and should glorify him in life and in witness to the ends of the earth. And was there ever an hour more made with terror and yet more opportunity than ours? Hours of opportunity. Tonight, I think it's important for us in this particular night in which we live to understand that if we are going to do anything for Christ, we better do it quickly. That's what he says about the sovereignty of God. Many years ago, he saw the urgency And the need for us, if we are going to do anything for Jesus Christ, if you're going to get your heart right, do it today. If you're going to do something for Christ by witnessing to your husband or your wife or your loved one, do it today. Don't tarry. Do it today. Some of us say, well, I've got tomorrow. I'll wait till this day and I'll wait till this day. And some of us are even saying, I'll wait till the COVID thing is over. And it may never be over. On this earth. And so I think it's important for me to quicken you a little bit in your understanding of the sovereignty of God and the glory of our Lord and the meaning of the Lord God. The sovereignty of God and how does he sovereignly rule really is the question. God is sovereign. And what does that mean when we say that God is sovereign? It means that he is supreme in power. It means that he is supreme in every purpose and can be glorified in all of them because all things work together for good according to his purpose. God is sovereign and he sovereignly rules. What does that mean? This means that he possesses supreme dominion as the sovereign ruler of the universe. And here we have governors and mayors thinking that they rule when God does. He may trump them. Just a thought. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel each share a common experience. These 
Early in their prophetic ministries, they experienced a vision from God that shaped their entire course of lives. And each of these major prophets knew their purpose in life because they were awed by the glory of God through a vision. And they were available to the Spirit of God and they acted upon the Word of God. And who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, He is God. But He is also Lord God. Whether you submit to Him or not, He is Lord God over all. He will have the final say. Ezekiel brings strong words to Judah, but also to Israel, especially Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had become unfaithful and fruitless, and so have we as a nation. Because we have been unfaithful to the God of heaven, our our primary desire in life ought to glorify him. That is our purpose. But God was faithful because he loved you to send his son to redeem you. And he was faithful to Jerusalem. Even though we find these strong words from Judah, and even while they were in their spiritual prostitution, if you will, I find 12 times that it's mentioned in chapter 5, verse number 13, it is mentioned about this Lord God. Thus shall mine anger be accomplished, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them, and I will be I will be comforted, and they shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have accomplished my fury upon them. But I, the Lord, speaking of the Lord God. Look at verse number number 4. Look at chapter 6, verse number 7. And slain shall, and the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Look at chapter 7, verse number 4. Mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and thine abominations shall be in the midst of thee, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 12, verse number 15. Turn over there if you would. Chapter 12, it's all through the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 12, verse 15. And they shall know that I am the Lord. And when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. Chapter 13, verse number 14. The Bible says, so I will break down the wall that you have daubed with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation thereof shall be discovered and it shall fall and you shall be consumed in the midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 15, verse number 7. Chapter 15, verse number 7, a small chapter. I will set my face against them and they shall go out from one fire and another fire shall devour them and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I set my face against them, chapter 16, verse number 62. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. He's talking to Jerusalem, of course. 17, verse number 21. And all his fugitives with all his bands shall fall by the sword 
And they that remain shall be scattered toward all the winds, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. Look at 2020. That's a good year. Chapter 20. 20. Look at 19 and 20. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between you and me and me and you. That you may know that I am the Lord your God. Look at chapter 24. Keep going. 24, 24. Thus Ezekiel is unto you a sign. According to all that he hath done, shall you do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the what? I am the Lord God. All through the book of Ezekiel, we could go on and on of times where it is mentioned that God is sovereign. He is over all. He is the God of heaven. I want to give you three questions to think about in closing. God is sovereign. He is in control of what happens in your life and in your family and in the nation. And I want to ask you a question. Did you know that? And if you do know that, what difference does it make? What difference does it make in your life that God is sovereign over your life and your family and your nation? And what difference does it make if you yield to him? It makes a big difference on how you respond to the things that come into your life. Some of you have had difficult events happen to you. And let me just share this with you from a pastor's heart. Never blame someone else. All of the things that have happened. By the way, when you get really good at blaming others, people get to the place when they see you coming, they get out of there. Because they don't want to hear it anymore. If you've had difficulties, it's because of the decisions that you've made, not because of the decisions of somebody else. I was enjoying my brother's testimony on PBS. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. I wish I could pull it up and show it to you now. They went through an hour and a half of taping of my brother and his wife. He used to run the RU here. He has a son that was disobedient to his father and thought just a little pot would be okay. It's just a little pot. Have you ever said that? It's just a little marijuana, just a little beer. It's just a little thing. Well, guess what happened? It became a big thing. And my nephew, Jason, has spent 10 of the last years of his life here on earth now, 10 years in prison, federal prison, They did a story on him. How are you coping with it? And you can actually look at it. They're spectacular stories. Um, Spectacular stories that um, actually give a testimony of what my brother went through and his wife. And the whole family suffers. And Jason will be going to Janesville to a halfway house. And then he'll be going probably back to the workforce. And I want to do everything I can do to help him. But the first thing I'll tell Jason is don't you blame anybody. Look to God for your future. I think it's important for us to remember in this life that there is a Lord God and he rules and he reigns. And every day when you get up, especially now as we get into the harvest season, I love it when the beans start to turn yellow.
I love it when the corn starts to dry from the bottom. And I watch it because the harvest was mentioned by our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is something that we observe. I can't wait till Farm Fest. I think it's important for us to remember that God is sovereign. And you know what? The fish I caught this last week and the nature that I observed, they don't know it's COVID-19. So don't tell them. One of the evenings we put our grandkids to bed and I talked seriously to my sons and their wives. But I don't want the kids to know that COVID-19 is going on because this is a vacation time. It's a peaceful time. But I told my daughters and daughter-in-laws and my sons, I told them this could be the last time we gather like this. And how would you treat it? They know that there is the Lord God. We talked about that in the church service we had. Matthew 25, they understand that. But we don't know whether this is the last time Grace Baptist Church will gather or not. We don't know that. We know and we make plans and we desire to do what is right. But regardless, there is a God in heaven and he is on his throne and he has done everything he could do to convince you that he loves you. Even now, he draws your heart in times of sorrow and says, I am here. I will comfort you. I will give you what you need. But I want to come home. It's not time yet. How many times did Linda say that? How many times did my grandma say that? And I'm certain that Lee thought about it. But it's not time. It's time for us to shine and to comfort others and to know that the Lord God is in complete control. I look at the White House and I'm thinking, ay, ay, ay. I listen to these people and they think they have the answers. I listen to the specialists and to the scientists. That's who we have to heed to. And the Lord God rules. Fooey on the scientists. Fooey on the doctors. Our God rules. Hallelujah, he rules. And he will throughout all eternity. God is sovereign. He is in control of what happens in your life and your family and your nation. And do you know that? And what difference does it make? Secondly, God is holy, totally separate from sin, totally holy. He's impeccable. He's immutable, totally committed to helping you find power over your sinful habits that cling to you, that take you from being what you should be. Do you know that? And if so, what keeps you from doing his will today? It is you. It is you. It is you. Come to the place of understanding The difference is recognizing a God who is holy and he is Lord and he is supreme and he is immutable. But you can still talk to him. He wants to talk to you. And lastly, God knows all about you and still loves you. See, that's people are kind of like this. They're kind of quick with things, you know. Kind of like just tell people just enough about us to where they may be impressed to be our friend. God's not like that. He's known your every thought. He knows how many hairs you have upon your head. 
He knows your worries and your concerns and your ups and your downs and your quirks. He knows all of that. He knows you and loves you. And he desires for you to say back to him, I love you, Lord. And so God knows all about you and he still loves you unconditionally. And did you know that? And if so, there's nothing that he would rather hear than I love you, Lord, flowing from your lips Proceeding out of your heart. And have you told him that today? And if not, there's no better time than the present. The urgency is here. Of course it is. It always has been. But I want to encourage you that the Lord God mentioned in the second chapter of Genesis and the Lord God made mention of in the Revelation chapter 22 and everything in between, he has been Lord God over it all. Daniel knew it when he was in the lion's den. His friends knew it when they threw him in the fiery furnace. Moses knew it when he stood and he held his rod over the water and it split. Elijah knew it when he took the mantle of Elijah and threw it on the water and it split open. And he watched Elijah go to heaven and thought, man, someday I want to do the same thing. And turned around and talked to the prophets and told them, what can I do for you? And they said, this is a pleasant city. But it is barren and it is fruitless. And I'm telling you that Madison is a beautiful city. But it is barren and it is fruitless. And it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the answer? The same answer that Elijah gave. He took salt and threw it upon the water. Unless this salt gets into that city, this city is doomed. Praise God for the police officers that are born again. Praise God for those that are trying to do the best they can as lawyers that are born again and trying the best they can to run this city. Pray for them. Help them. But the salt must be applied for us to be able to say the city is no longer fruitless or barren. I know this morning what God has in mind for all of us to yield to him who is Lord God. Have you done that? There are some that have recently, and there are some that want to follow him now and saved at an early age, and now have come to say, I want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Some have recently saved in camp just last month and want to come and be baptized, and so we're going to do that this morning. But I want to give an invitation for you. Maybe you've never been baptized Maybe you're confused about salvation. Why don't you come? And someone will show you from the scriptures how you can be saved, which is, the, which is really the prerequisite of baptism, uh, to be born again from the scriptures. Maybe you just need to come and pray this morning. Let's all stand, if we would, and bow our heads, and we're going to have a word of prayer. And as soon as I'm done, the invitation will begin. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. We ask that you would come and meet the needs. We pray this, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those that you're working with, Father, that, that they would step out say, here I am. Lord, before they even walked into this church this morning, you were already working in their heart. I just pray that you would bring them to your heart. And Lord, I pray that they would yield to you. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.
say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. seated if you would let the folks come in if they would make your make your uh, make your way in here I just